prior to um, my vacation, November 20th was the last time that I was in 1 Corinthians up here. And um, I realized that was quite some time ago. I hope we could pick up where we left off. Um, The title of that last sermon was Foundations for Living Part 2. And um, as I just said, I forgot to hit the record button. And so you only see part one online. Sorry about that. Um, And that was the final. There was just two parts. That was it. So... um, In that sermon, we finished chapter 3, and so today we are moving on into chapter 4, like Jason read. Let's look together right now at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul says, Let a man regard us in this manner. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Verse 2. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Now, we've talked about the mysteries of God before in many different sermons and teachings here at Abiding Grace Church for over 10 years now. Why? Why do we talk about the mysteries of God so much here? Uh, Answer, because Paul talks about the mysteries of God so much here in his writings, two-thirds of the New Testament, he wrote. As a matter of fact, the mysteries that Paul speaks of, listen carefully, these mysteries, plural, not singular, because we could, we could say the mystery, singular, Paul refers to as the gospel, but there's mysteries that he's referring to here, which is plural. So the mysteries that Paul speaks of culminate into one foundational summation of all things, okay? And that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that one more time so that we got that, because the whole sermon hinges upon that. The mysteries that Paul speaks of, they culminate into one foundational sum, summation of all things, and that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now flip back, if you would, to chapter 2 of First Corinthians. When we look at chapter 2, Beginning in verse 1, Paul says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the mystery of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Superior speech? No. Worldly wisdom? No. Sold out arenas, smoke machines, and pyrotechnics. No. Just Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's everything, church. Everything that has been called or can be called a mystery in Scripture 
That's it. Jesus Christ, him crucified, his cross. That's what it all comes back to. The law, the prophets, creation, the elect, judgment, eternal life, a partial hardening of Israel, the bringing in of the Gentiles. We shall not sleep, but we will be changed. The profound mystery of Christ and the church, as Paul calls it in Ephesians 5. All of those things, okay, make absolutely no sense at all by themselves. They only make sense in Christ. Does that make sense? Christ is the God-man. God manifested in human flesh to die as the final, perfect, atoning, sinless sacrifice for our sins. Then and only then, when we understand that, do we understand these mysteries that Paul was speaking of. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Paul says in verse 7, But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So we see Paul talking about this hidden wisdom of God for the ages. Most important thing is he's talking about it here being revealed. The mystery is revealed. And it is the gospel. It is the good news. It is freedom from sin. And it is eternal life in fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I could go on and on and on with proof texts all day long that these are the things that Paul means, but I think I made it pretty clear. It's clear? Okay. Now, today's text, chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 and 2. We're actually going to look at the whole chapter, but specifically I want to hone in on those verses. These first two verses aren't just about the mysteries of God, okay? Paul is actually being much more specific here. He's talking about us being trustworthy stewards of the mysteries of God and us being servants of Christ. That's the specificity. And he makes this very personal with the Corinthians right out of the chute. How does he do it? He says in verse 1, let a man regard 
us in this manner. In what manner, Paul? Let a man regard us, not me, us, in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Who is the us that he's talking about here? Well, if we read the rest of the chapter, we will see plainly that Paul and his cohorts had come upon some unfriendliness in Emmer Hills in 1 Corinthians. Okay? Paul was being judged and he was being criticized by some of the people there in the church at Corinth. Typical church folk, right? Judgment and criticism. Have you ever met um, opposition in a local church? Now, I know that you haven't in this church because we are all perfect like this. We're perfect here at Abiding Grace. Unfortunately, the opposite is true. I could tell you stories about Christians, and I'm sure you could tell me stories about Christians who, in the name of Jesus, would make your blood boil. But that wouldn't be very uplifting, so we're going to skip that, all right? Paul's being judged and criticized here. And the first thing that I want you to see is that this is a little bit different because it's the Corinthians. And when I, when I say that, what I mean is their sins are out there for everybody to see. It's not like they're sinning in secret, okay? They're displaying a lot of their sin. And they have a problem with Paul, okay? Uh, which brings us to the, the second reason. Paul wasn't just your average Christian. We need to understand that. He was the celebrity evangelist of that, that time, of that day. And he was the founder of their church. He planted this church. I mean, come on. Show some respect, you ingrate Corinthians. That's probably what I would have said if I was Paul. And as we will see, Paul did end up telling them that uh, in, a, in a nice way, sort of. So in verse 2, Paul tells them <clears throat> that it's required for stewards of the mysteries of God to be trustworthy. That's a requirement. Paul's not talking about trustworthiness in the sense of, you know, hey, man, can you keep a secret? If you promise to keep a secret, I want to tell you something about so-and-so. That's not what's going on here in this church. What's going on here is this, verse 3. Paul says, but to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined or judged by you. In other words, who do you think you are judging me? It's a very small thing, okay? Then he goes on, or of any human court for that matter. Not only are, are you not going to judge me, it's no big deal if you do, he's saying to the Corinthians, but it wouldn't even be a big deal if any human court judged me. Then he says, look, I don't even judge myself. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 4, only the Lord can judge me. Then in verse 5, 
he says, you shouldn't be trying to judge anything before the time in the first place. What's the time? What time, Paul? Before the appointed time, he says. The appointed time when Christ comes back to judge everyone. When? On that great day. The day of his second coming. The day of judgment. The day of the Lord. There are so many phrases for this same thing in the scriptures that you can't miss it. He's talking about judgment day, the day of the Lord. It is at that time and only at that time that Christ will bring to light, Paul says, all of the things hidden in the darkness and he'll disclose the motives of men's hearts and then each man's praise will come to him from God. So he's, he's teaching them to prioritize here what it is that they're talking about and what it is that they're actually accusing him about in this letter. So, and we'll see more of that as we go on. In essence, Paul is saying, I don't fret that you're judging me or criticizing me. It's God's judgment, okay, that counts, not yours. Now, I'm not going to read verses 6 through 8 in the interest of time, but suffice it to say, if you look at them, refer to them, it is here in these verses that Paul uses a little sarcasm, okay? Probably due to his utter shock and disbelief as to how arrogant the Corinthians had become. And in verse 6, Paul is conveying their attitude that they um, thought they had basically arrived. He's, he's referring to their attitude or they thought that they had basically climbed to a status of reigning kings. This is his sarcasm. They felt that they didn't need Paul or Apollos or Cephas, etc., etc. any of Paul's cohorts they didn't need Paul responds by warning them to color within the lines and stay on their own side of the road. He says, don't go beyond what is written. Then he quotes three Old Testament warnings about boasting. In other words, he's saying, don't boast, don't boast, don't boast, as it's written in the Old Testament. That's what I mean by staying between the lines. Paul's purpose here is to try and put a stop to the damaging effects of arrogance in the Corinthian church. Then Paul expresses his disdain for their haughty view of themselves. How many of you have ever had a haughty view of yourself? I know I have. In verse 8, Paul sarcastically expresses his desire that they would wait for him to catch up to them. He's like, oh man, you guys are so great. Wait up, <laughs> let me catch up to you. Since they thought that they were so far ahead of him and his companions from a spiritual standpoint. In the previous verse, if you look at verse seven, Paul tries to set them straight a bit 
by asking them. He says, in what regard are you superior? For what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, Paul says, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? If anyone has a right to say these things to the, to the church at Corinth, it's Paul. They were well aware, folks, of his resume. And yet he still had to wrangle with them about his qualifications. And most of us certainly do not have the resume that Paul had. We the people. So Paul sets out in verses 9 through 16 to try and make the church see that he's still the right man for the job. I mean, just put yourself in Paul's shoes for a minute. He gives birth to this church, sweat and blood, and he worries about it. He prays for it, most likely on a daily basis. And he still finds himself having to convince them that he's legit. And the job that he was applying for, by the way, was to be their spiritual father. Look at chapter 4, verse 15 of 1 Corinthians He wants to be their spiritual father. He actually is their spiritual father. He's trying to convince them that he is. He told them in verse 15 that in Christ Jesus, he became their father through the gospel. Shared the gospel with you. You got saved. I'm your father in Christ. In other words, it was his preaching of the gospel to them that made this church possible in the first place. And if it wasn't for him... They wouldn't have been saved in the natural, talking anthropomorphically, not God's sovereignty. Okay? But Paul has many more job qualifications than, um, or, or that, I'm should, I should say, than that that equip him to be their father in the Lord and to encourage them to be, title of the sermon, imitators of him, verse 16. Look at 416. He not only wanted to be their spiritual father, but he wanted them to be imitators of him. Let's call this part of Paul's resume life experience. I don't know if you could still do that with a resume today. Can you still put life experience on a resume? Back in the day, you could, okay? You can even get you could even get college credits in the eyes of the company that you were interviewing with if you had certain life experience. Anyway, different lifetime for Mike. Um, I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible, okay, which I've never done from the pulpit that I'm aware of. Um, And I'm doing it because I, I really want you to get the meaning of these words in their fullest sense. The, the Amplified Bible, for those of you that don't know, expands upon the Greek, but it does it in English. And so that you get the full effect of the meaning and the full effect of the words translated into English. And if you would, please humor me, okay? Close your eyes to heighten your sense of hearing and imagination. And as I read this, try to picture this in your mind, okay? Paul says, beginning in verse 9, for I think God has exhibited us apostles at the end of the line like men sentenced to death, paraded as prisoners in a procession. 
because we have become a spectacle to the world, a show in the world's amphitheater, both to angels and to men. We are regarded as fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are highly esteemed, but we are dishonored. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are continually poorly dressed and we are roughly treated and we wander homeless. We work for a living, working hard with our own hands. When we are reviled and verbally abused, we bless. When we are persecuted, we take it patiently and endure. When we are slandered, we try to be conciliatory and answer softly. We have become like the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Then Paul says this in verses 14 through 16. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. See that, father, children? Verse 15, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. I'm just gonna stop there for a second and interject something. Um, You know, Jesus says in the gospel not to call anyone father. Um, and he says, you only have one father which, who, who is in heaven. And here we see Paul wanting them to see him as a spiritual father. This is actually the scripture that Roman Catholics will use to bolster their um, belief that we should call priests father, you know, father so-and-so, father Steve, father Mike, okay? Both of those scriptures, the one in the gospel and the one here, are in two completely different contexts, first of all. And second of all, this particular context does not line up at all with calling a priest father. And I'm not gonna get into the apologetics of that, but I just wanna let you know while we're here, this is one of the scriptures that they use, and again, not the right context. So anyway, Paul goes on, verse 17. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church, now, some have become arrogant, Paul says, as though I were not coming to you. In other words, you guys are acting so prideful and arrogant. You act as if, you know, you know I'm coming to meet with you guys and you act as though I'm not even gonna be there. Verse 19, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I shall find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. We're gonna talk about that next week. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, 
but in power. Verse 21, what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod? In other words, if you're going to be arrogant, you're going to have this attitude, I'm going to come to discipline and chastise you. Or would you rather I come with love and a spirit of gentleness? If you guys act like Christians and you act like you should act within your Christianity, then I'm not going to come with a rod. I'm going to come with gentleness and a spirit of love. That's what Paul is saying here. That's the picture that he's painting for them. I think that's pretty powerful. Now, we've all come full circle here in chapter 4. As such, I would um, like to take you all the way back, before we close, all the way back to verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, chapter 4. And I'd like to ask you, and I'm, I'm posing this question to myself also, are you a servant of Christ? And are you a steward of the mysteries of God? And are you trustworthy as such? This is what Paul is putting on the table. As servants of Christ, we have been entrusted with what? The very gospel, the gospel message. What an awesome responsibility that is. As stewards of the mysteries of God, we have become, in essence, his estate managers. That's what that means in Greek, steward, estate manager. And as we close here this morning, let's take a look, if you would, at how God defines these responsibilities in his sacred word. And please keep in mind, this is a very serious business that we're about here. Paul and his companions were ready to sacrifice their lives for this business. And in fact, many of them did just that. They died a martyr's death for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many are dying today as I speak in the world, across the world for the gospel of Christ. Many are being put in prison today for the gospel So how do we here in our first world, United States of America, richest people on earth, how do we go about the business of being stewards of the gospel? I believe that the first thing we need to do is show evidence of a changed life. To those of you who are born again, You've put to death the old man. You've put on the new man. In other words, you are a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. And so if you have been truly changed by Christ, you will want to live your life in such a way so as to evidence that. You'll not only want to do it, but you'll do it. Naturally, it'll come naturally to you if you're in Christ. People will see that. And that, my friends, is the best way to be a steward of the good news, the gospel. When people see a change in your life, they will want to know where the change came from. They'll say things like, hey, 
there's something different about you since the last time we talked. Hey, I notice you don't swear like a sailor anymore. You used to swear like a sailor. Or else they'll say, dude, let's go and get lit. What do you mean you don't get drunk anymore? Or, you might have been that type of person who was very quick to lay into somebody, very quick to anger, very quick to rip somebody's head off. And somebody's going to notice and they're going to say, you're not like that anymore. What's up with you? Now, I've said this before from the pulpit one other time. I'm going to say it again. One of the, th- one of the key things in my own life that, that turned me onto Christ when I was 18 years old was a friend of mine who committed his life to Christ. And I saw that friend change literally overnight in a very, very drastic way. He was the guy who did every drug in the book. I would venture to say he could make up his own drugs, okay? He did them daily. And overnight, stopped all of it. Cold turkey, done with it, over. And that was all before he said one word to me about the gospel. I didn't, I didn't know that he got saved. And I saw the change in his life. I saw the evidence in 24 hours. And that made me ready to listen to what he had to say before he even opened his mouth. And he shared the gospel with me and I listened. And the Lord used that and used a few other things that same week and that same month. And the Lord saved me. So if you wanna be a good steward of the gospel, Don't underestimate the witness of your life and how you are living your life now that you are in Christ. People are watching you. Unsaved and unchurched people in your life are watching you. If you want to be a good steward of Scripture, a good steward of the gospel, then live it. That's the first thing. Jesus said you're salt and light. You're the salt and light of the world, Matthew 5, 17. When people see your good works, they will glorify your Father in heaven. Another way to be a good steward of the gospel is to simply tell people what the Lord has done in your life. Your witness is very, very powerful. Tell them how sinful you used to be and how Jesus revealed himself to you as the one who died for your sins and freely gave you forgiveness and new life through the kind intention of his will, Ephesians 1.5. Tell them how God changed you, how he has changed your goals and your motives and your interests. Talk to them about a subject that I guarantee you they don't talk about very often, and that's eternal life. Bring it up. Talk to them about it. Explain to them that all they have to do is believe in the one who was sent, Jesus. And of course, 
explain to them why he was sent and why it is that even the faith that they can have is his doing. Explain regeneration to them. Explain the Trinity to them. Bring it together. It's not hard. Jesus left his father's throne and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. John 1, 14. And then Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Tell them that. I've been saved through faith. I didn't have to do anything for it. I didn't have to work for it. I didn't have to meet any goals. I was saved through faith. It wasn't about me or from me. It was a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 9. Not as a result of my works, as I said, as Paul says, so that I can't boast. Nobody can boast. For we are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. If you're walking in them, you're being a good steward of the, of the gospel. If you're walking in them, you're being a good witness of the gospel. You're going to draw the unserved and the un, unsaved. I'm sorry, the unchurched and the unsaved to you. You're going to draw them to you. I should say the Holy Spirit's going to draw them to Christ through you. Another way that we can be good stewards of the gospel is to not quickly dismiss or shirk our responsibility to share that gospel. We've all been guilty of this. We need to get into the habit of doing the opposite. We should be purposeful in sharing the gospel. We should get up in the morning and say, who am I gonna, whose path am I gonna cross today? where I can share the gospel. Romans 10, 14, how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things or good news. Like Paul, we need to pray that the Lord will open up a door for us to share the gospel today with someone. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. And that goes like this. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. Paul asked them to pray for him. Paul also asked them to pray that a door for the word would be open for him. Not this scripture, but the previous. But this one, I'm, I'm sorry, not the previous, but this one. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. Imprisoned, think about that picture that I may make it clear, Paul says, what I ought to speak. Here's Paul, okay, planting all these churches. His life's been completely turned upside down. He knows he's God's man. God's humbled him. And yet he still asks 
for prayer that he may know how to speak. That's a beautiful example of his humility. Verse 5 in, in, in Colossians, uh, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. All of these different ways in which we are taught in Scripture to be good stewards of the gospel and to be good stewards of our witness, all of those are laid out in detail so that we are left with every piece of the puzzle. Every piece of the puzzle, I, could, I know that my, um, my grandson gets very agitated when uh, he gets a new puzzle and there's a piece missing in the box, which happens more often than you might think. Um, we don't have that problem here. Paul makes it abundantly clear how to be good stewards of, our, of, of, of Christ's gospel and of our witness. He makes it very, very clear. So for the sake of time, we have to stop here. Um, I wanted to get through chapter four, but we're not going to until next week. Let's pray.